Welcome to the show where three friends rate, debate, and investigate the films you'll love to see and hate to see. This is You'll Love to See It. Welcome back to another episode of You Love to See It. You Love to See It. Eric and Caleb are joining me in studio today for another episode. In fact, of You Love to See It. Our second to last episode of 2019. Yes. All right. Well, for this episode, we have a very special treat. We've been putting together the time to figure out. Our... And the time right now is actually 1030 at night. So if you want to dox us. <laughs> <laughs> right here <laughs> i mean that that only says so much right like they, they couldn't find our location just based on the time that's true because you'd be surprised i think they already know a lot um based off of just like who we are and then they, we linked our letterboxes and they're linked to other things like they could find everything CS is else. taking over the world caleb get yeah. with it <laughs> our identity is already out there but for this episode we are going to be talking about 2019 in review. In fact, we have created a list of our top 10 films of 2019, except... Consolidated. It, consolidated, like consolidated, for sure. Yeah, we each um, have... Averaged out between the three of us. Yes, that's a good way to put it. Basically, you know, since we each have seen a different amount... We of, each had a fist fight and I won. <laughs> he did not. He did get most of his top 10 in Exactly. I'm just saying. He did not win. He got defensive over the fist fight. That definitely did not happen. <laughs> I was a little defensive about it. But what I was trying to say was that uh, what did happen is Eric did get most of his top 10 in our top 10. Which is um, crazy. Basically, we found out a way to just average. Based, I have a way with words. <laughs> based upon our uh, length of our review list. So, for instance, I've only seen 23 films that came out in 2019, where Eric, for instance, has seen 48. Actually, I guess that does weight in my, my films a lot. Less. A no, lot more, more, more a lot yeah. Because I'm adding so much less. Yeah, that's true. Good. That's true. But also, we, we, we did that <laughs> for a reason. So, basically, we did it just a, you know, we couldn't figure out a, a great way to do this. Um, I think, though, towards I think the it's end, great. I Except think, it's not great because Eric got way too many. That in. is true. In the end, I think we're very happy with this list um, overall. I think Eric um, is very happy and <laughs> with this list. Oh, I love this list. And well, and the the thing is, movies that Eric and Caleb have seen all made it. I've, there's four films up there on that list that I haven't seen, which makes sense just in terms of, you know, what I'm able to watch, <laughs> um, and didn't get to. But overall, we created this uh, ten uh, top ten list. Um, outside of the top ten. Uh, which we'll have each of us kind of introducing and then we'll talk about throughout the show today. We also have just some honorable mentions. Uh, two notable omissions here. Yes. Might be surprised. And actually, we want to list off a few movies that we won't even really be talking about today, which probably deserve some, some deserve praise. Others deserve just recognition for being... Eh. Others deserve yeah. nothing. Nothing. Um, some of the uh, movies that we'll not be talking about, either in our top ten or notable mentions, uh, include... Book smart. I know uh, Caleb. Really I'm a little that. guilty about this one. This, that yeah. that is 100 percent 
Eric's fault. Her. I'm actually very guilty about um, this one. <laughs> another <laughs> notable omission is Joker, which we actually already did an episode on. And I think at the time we did the episode, which technically it only came out, I think, at this point a week or two ago. But we uh, we reviewed it a long time ago. And at that point, it was higher up on our list, so at least for Caleb and I, for sure, it was pretty high. Maybe at that yeah, moment. It was Even for Eric mid- a little middle. bit. It was pretty high. It was pretty high. Um, and at this point, it didn't even There's just so crack. many movies coming out. It's still high for me. You can blame Eric again. Yeah. I think it cracked my top ten still, and it was, I think it was in yours as well. It was it, number seven, right? It's my number seven, indeed. Yeah. Uh, other obvious mm-hmm. movies, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, um, Avengers Endgame, High Life, Knives Out, which we also reviewed. Uh, we obviously, you can probably tell from that episode, we weren't the biggest fans. Um, I've only seen, I'm the only one who's seen uh, Ford v. Ferrari. Um, solid movie. Jojo Rabbit is not making this list. Hustlers, which was actually probably the biggest surprise of 2019, if I had to name one, just in terms of a movie. Was it not Playmobil? <laughs> it was not. It was not. <laughs> I think. Did you see Playmobil? Had a budget of $75 million and in two weeks, it's made less than a million dollars in the box office. <laughs> whose money was that? That got, it got wasted. Can you imagine a movie budget of seven? What other movies have budgets of $75 million? Like, what's a no? I don't even know what the notable Like, Avengers is. Endgame? There's no way. It kind of had way more than that, right? Yeah. The Irishman I mean, had, like, $200 million, right? Yeah, I think Endgame had more. <laughs> Anyways, um, Pain and Glory is a notable omission. Um, Pretty good. Souvenir. Uh, the Souvenir. Us, which came out, but it feels like over uh, like eight years ago, but it came out. Like, did it come out beginning of way back February. in 2011? <laughs> way back in uh, early 2019. Uh, there's a few movies on here that we're mentioning because we haven't seen them and they actually haven't come out yet for full re- release. That is Little Women, A Hidden Life in 1917. A few of those might crack our top 10. In fact, Little Women is very, very highly praised right now. I could see that maybe cracking. If A Hidden it, Life it is up to par, who knows? Yeah. Uh, so those are some notable omissions. You guys got any other ones for us that uh, aren't going to be talked about? Anything else? I mean, there were a lot of movies. You know, it was a good year. I know Caleb doesn't think it was a good year overall. It's but a middling year. This was my first year. Like I'm, I'm a newbie when it comes to you know actually watching and talking about movies rather than just seeing a few films a year. So this is my first real year. So I liked it because I saw more than I'd ever seen in a year. Probably I don't think I've ever seen 23 movies. Like from that year, in that year, <laughs> if that makes sense, <laughs> kind of. Um, all right. Well, I guess we'll just start off uh, just talking about our honorable mentions. We each got one that we just feel like, you know, for some reason or another, it might have made our top ten, but it just for didn't. some reason or another. <laughs> <laughs> Being Eric. Um, well, there's a couple. Uh, the the three that we're gonna mention, um, I think are. Well, I guess we'll just get right into it. Caleb, you want to start us off with your uh, notable I would mention? love to. Or honorable uh, mention? My honorable mention, it actually clocked in at number six on my top ten. That's pretty high. Indeed. It's I Lost My Body, uh, a French Did animated film. Well, I, I, w- I wouldn't <laughs> want to spoil that. Now would I, Dad? Um, it's, a, it's a French film directed by Jeremy Clapin. I don't speak French. <laughs> Hopefully I convinced you. I barely speak English. Um <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, sorry, continue. Sorry, um, talk about uh, <laughs> uh anyway, it it's it has two storylines. There are two storylines that exist in this movie. One, a hand, a severed hand 
that is trying to find its way back to its body and roams through France, uh, undergoing tons of crazy, uh, <laughs> crazy experiences uh, trying to find its hand. And there's also uh, the character of, again, I'm sorry if I butcher this, Naufel. How'd that sound, Eric? Accurate? Uh... <laughs> I don't think Eric speaks French either. Okay. <laughs> anyway, um, so it, 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 follow, it follows him uh, as he kind of lives his life. There are some flashbacks, and it's just him trying to to make a better life for himself, and there's also a, a romance involved. But what I found made this film just so wonderful was the animation, which is simply stunning. Uh, you can really tell how much work they put into this. Now, in, in a normal live-action movie, you don't have time to, to make every shot look exactly as you want it to. Uh, there, there's not enough time, and actors are not just going to reset for take after take after take to get every single take perfect because there's there's not enough time and there's not enough money. But here, you you know, in in an animation setting, you you know, money allowing, have time to draw everything and get everything looking like how you want, and then add the actors later. And here, you can tell that uh, each frame looks exactly as the the director wants it to. The shot composition in this movie is unbelievable. And everything looks and sounds great. It, it it's it's a gorgeous film. The action set pieces that occur uh, with the hand which uh are very entertaining. There, there are many uh, sequences that are just like action set pieces you you'd see in, for example, a Mission Impossible movie. But instead of Tom Cruise, it's it's a disembodied hand, <laughs> uh, which is which is a great concept and, and executed wonderfully. Uh, those look great, and uh, and and the humans in their in their interactions look great as well. It really is a gorgeous film. It includes or features. Uh, one of the best scores of the year, scored by uh, Dan Levy. And I found myself moved by by the story uh, at its end. There, The story isn't perfect, and uh, dialogue is economized for you know obvious reasons, as, as they have to keep the runtime short or not draw any more than, than, than is necessary because... There's so much detail in each frame. Uh, but I was ultimately sold by the story and really cared about the characters and everything looked and sounded great. And you should watch it. Don't let it slip through the cracks of your 2019 top films. I would definitely agree. Yeah, I actually just watched I Lost My Body earlier today. And it is as beautiful as he says... Um, yeah, great choice. Um, my actual choice for honorable mention of this year goes to a film by the name of Jojo Rabbit. You may have heard of it. It was, it's been getting some buzz. Um, it is actually number 17 on my list. Um, and it is directed by Taika Waititi. 
Um, the film stars Roman Griffin Davis as Jojo Betzler, a young Nazi boy whose imaginary friend, played by Taika Waititi, is actually Adolf Hitler himself. Um, he goes to like he goes to Nazi camp where he um, is like playing with axes and playing with knives, and he is doing a doing doing great doing a great job burning some books. Um, and plastering Hitler posters all over post all over Germany, but um, he and he is he wants nothing more than to be this this perfect Nazi boy of his dreams. And Taika Waititi as Hitler wants that too. Um, this all changes one day when he hears something in his attic and realizes that there is a young Jewish girl by the name of Elsa hiding in his um, ceiling. And we find out that, um, like, Jojo's mother, played by Scarlett Johansson, in, I think, honestly, one of her best roles of the year, um, has been, is, like, part of this Nazi, like, anti-Nazi resistance and has been harboring Elsa for a long time, giving her food and essentially being this, like, unspoken silent hero um and this film essentially goes through jojo's recognition and um and overcoming of this hate this hatred which he doesn't really understand but has been sort of placed upon him by the ideologies all around him in uh not so veiled um commentary on perhaps the political world we see today and it's incredibly funny. Scarlett Johansson is just incredibly good in this. There's one scene where she pretends to be Jojo's dad, who is supposedly off fighting the war. Um, that's just incredible. And she's funny. She's moving. She's charming. She's motherly and also very, very strong. Um, and it's incredibly entertaining, incredibly funny, as I already said before. Um, ultimately, I don't know if it has a big enough bite to say anything substantial in terms of anti-hate, but in 2019, um, it's exactly what I think we need to just get off our chest and just enjoy a movie that sort of laughs at where we are right now. All right. And I will end our honorable mentions talking about uh, a movie all three of us have seen, and that is Ad Astra. Um, Ad Astra is a film starring Brad Pitt, uh, directed by James Gray. Um, essentially, it is a sci-fi movie set in the near future where kind of humanity is traveled across uh, the solar system and beyond uh, looking kind of for, I guess, other places to call home or things like that. Um, essentially, and to be honest, I don't remember the plot of this movie extremely well, and maybe that is not a good sign. But I know that there is some there's some type of mysterious like force that is um, destroying life on Earth or something, and uh, they believe it is kind of caused by. Um, Brad Pitt, who plays Roy McBride, his father, who was at, who was also uh, an astronaut at the time, uh, or years prior. The movie is kind of uh, convoluted, but 
overall, as a large fan of the sci-fi genre, I I really enjoyed it, um, mainly because I thought it did a very good job of kind of creating a modern sci-fi that, you know, it, it does incorporate the whole, you know, you know, what it would look like if humanity went across, you know, the solar system establishing, you know, there's scenes where you see like all this, you know, kind of capitalist, uh, kind of identity set up on like the moon, for instance, where you can see in one shot, I remember like a McDonald's and things like that. And so it's, it's a very interesting commentary on perhaps how a realistic version of, you know, ex you know, moving across the universe might actually look like, um, if it were to happen ultimately though, the, the real meat of this movie is about the connection and relationship between, uh, Roy McBride, and his father, uh, played by Brad Pitt, and the father played by Tommy Lee Jones. Um, that relationship is at the center of the entire story, and especially in the last, I would say, 30, 40 minutes, it's right there in front of you to see. And throughout the movie, there's a lot of commentary about, uh, uh, from Brad Pitt's perspective, on the relationship he has with his father, or had at one point, or in fact, lacks with his father. Um, the reason this movie was high for me, and actually I, I believe it was in my top 10, possibly at number, uh, I don't even remember where it's at. It's, uh, number seven. Uh, the reason it was very high for me is because, um, I really liked the way this movie explored kind of the relationship aspect, um, of, uh, the two characters and more so, uh, just kind of how, in such a large picture, it could also remain small in terms of the feeling of just kind of an intimate connection and what that really means. Um, I know the three of us were very uh, much anticipating this film before it came out, and I think uh, we were a little thrown off by it. I know Eric and Caleb were not the biggest fans of this movie uh, overall, but I still think it is worth seeing. Um, as a 2019 film, especially if you are interested in exploring uh, the sci-fi genre or even more so exploring movies that detail kind of the intimate little relations we have in life that are obviously uh, of importance. So yeah, with that, um, we're just going to jump right into our top 10. We want to spend a lot more time on those and uh, we feel like, you know, a number of them deserve a thorough discussion because of how great they made the year, you know, without some of these movies or without any of these movies, 2019 would have been a lot worse of a film year. Uh, I disagree. <laughs> no, I think you would agree that even if 2019 wasn't a great year for you for films, if some of these movies hadn't come out, it would have been an even worse year. Correct. I disagree. <laughs> you disagree. It was just bad either way. Well, uh, I, uh, Let's jump into number 10. Right. Speaking of, um, where if this movie had not come out, I would have saved about four hours of my life. Uh, although before, before we go into it, I'll just uh, preface our, our countdown. We're going to go from 10 to 1 and uh, give uh, each individual uh, ranking as well. So, yes, number 10, if you could not guess by that absurd <laughs> length, is The it's Irishman. It's actually three and a half hours. Well, sure it felt like yeah, a lot longer. 17. <laughs> uh, not even three and a half. 
The Irishman <laughs> clocks in at number 10. Uh, uh, just for reference, uh, Eric has seen 48 2019 films. I have seen 34, and Zach has seen 23. Zach did not see The Irishman. Uh, not. For Eric, it clocks in at 10 out of 48, and I have it at 14 out of 34. Uh, the Irishman is defined by its length, I'd say. Uh, in fact, the script for The Irishman was just released, and it is only 146 pages. So, all that says is that Scorsese is very intentional here in uh, in making this a longer movie, in, in dragging out the runtime and hoping that it can add to the film, hoping it can give it a sort of epic quality to it. I didn't really feel that way. I, I only gave <laughs> this film three stars, and um, it didn't really capture me, and ultimately I didn't find myself caring too much about the characters. It, it follows Robert De Niro, who plays Frank Sheeran, who starts out as just a truck driver who gets involved with some criminal activity, also starring Al Pacino, who I'd say is probably the best actor in this film, and he's probably given the most to do. Uh, also co-stars Joe Pesci, very solid, and uh, has a decent ensemble behind that. I just found this movie to be slow beyond toleration at points. Uh, didn't think the screenplay was particularly inspiring and didn't warrant the length uh, that or that at least Scorsese pulled it out to be. The direction was, you know, it, it was good. Scorsese knows what he's doing, but again, I, I didn't find anything super special about it. And the acting, somehow I feel like the actors in this great crime saga were not afforded tons of times to show off. Uh, like I said, I thought Pacino uh, was very good and probably had the most to do. De Niro somehow, for being in most of the scenes in the film, I feel like didn't have many opportunities to shine through. There, There is one scene where he's speaking on the phone with, uh, with Al Pacino, who plays Jimmy Hoffa, with Jimmy Hoffa's wife, and I thought that was one of the most moving scenes in the film. But ultimately, there was a lot of fat that I think could have been trimmed. And personally, I just didn't care too much about the character. So by the time it got to the end, I, I certainly can understand how if you were deeply invested in this story, uh, how you would be moved by, by the ending. But I, I was left pretty cold. And I, I'll attribute that mostly to the length and to the screenplay, which could have been more nuanced, less cliched. I think there were a lot of lines I, I felt myself rolling my eyes at and, and more tonally consistent. There were some scenes I thought probably objectively funny, but sprinkled in among these these other very long, drawn-out scenes, I, I couldn't find myself laughing. But... Alas, number ten <laughs> number on our on our top ten of twenty nineteen. I know I know Eric liked it more than I did, so if you'd like to say anything. 
Yeah, Eric, I want to yeah. know, what did you like about The okay. Irishman? So, I'm not the biggest Martin Scorsese fan. I I feel like I have a trend of watching his movies and just feeling nothing. And I think the difference in this film is that it seems like there's a lot of real reflection in the way Scorsese shoots this movie. Um, Scorsese's movies often have, like, or often tell the story of one single male character who goes from a huge high to a huge low and this like rise and this rise and fall and it's this glorified hugely violent like just like beautiful mess although not that I like many of his other films but um in the Irishman it feels like there's a real recognition of the cost of everything that's happening as well as this recognition that he is near the end of his career. And I think one aspect that really stuck out to me was the inclusion of something I'm just going to call the the death captions. Um, so even in the beginning, as um, Robert De Niro's character is just getting into the mobster business, every single character we see gets a little caption underneath them that goes like, um, like, shot in the head five times while making breakfast or like shot in front of their kids or like stabbed in the supermarket like in like 1999 and it happens to essentially every single character and this is I think where the length comes in because as you see these subtitles just go on and on and on you get this just incredible weight upon you as you're watching this movie that then is translated into the power of the last 30 to 40 minutes of this film which I think are the best or is, is the best portion of the film where Frank now retired having served some jail time finally has to reckon with everything he's done especially with the knowledge of all these captions that have now in a way come to fruition um and I think this added weight and this added contemplation is what makes The Irishman something that I found incredibly enjoyable, even though I did think the first about hourish as everything sort of getting set up really long and not very good. All right. Yeah. Well, with that, we'll move on to number nine. Yeah, okay. Number nine is The Last Black Man in San Francisco. So this is a film um, that premiered at Sundance this year, distributed by A24. It is my number eight movie of the year, and it is Caleb's number 13. Um, and I have not seen it. And Zach has not seen it. Um, it's directed by Joe Talbot. This is his feature debut, and it stars Jimmy Fails and Jonathan Majors. Jimmy Fails is playing Jimmy Fails. I think it's semi-autobiographical. Um, and, wow, this is just a story, like an ins inspiring story of passion. Um, j so, essentially, the plot is Jimmy Fails is a young man living, like, not doing so well for himself in San Francisco with his friend Montgomery, who's played by Jonathan Majors, and he has this fixation on this house. And this is the house that um, 
was one of the first houses, I think, that a black person ever built in San Francisco. And that person was, I think, was it his great-grandfather? Either his grandfather or his great-grandfather. And the entire goal of this film is for Jimmy Fails to be able to reclaim this house. Um, and right now, living in the house is a white couple. And in his in his opinion, they aren't taking care of the house. The house is really dirty. The insides are like just not not in great condition. And he goes periodically to like clean their gardens and like clean the house. Um, but when the like the owner's mother dies, there's a huge dispute over the house. So there's this period where no one's living there. And during this time, Jimmy is able to get into this house and experience everything that it has going for it it has the history of his family in there it has the culture of san francisco and it has just his love of both montgomery who is living in there with him but also just the entire neighborhood and the culture that's come up in san francisco um ultimately this is a film that's definitely about gentrification it's about the loss of culture as housing prices go up and people can't afford to live anymore and how culture this culture that is so that's so well shot and so beautifully and intimately shown can get lost um to talk i said this movie is well shot it probably has some of the most beautiful cinematography of the year it's almost terrence malick like there's a lot of really beautiful usage of natural lighting in the sun as it just shines against these beautiful arches curves and like wood of this just incredible incredible house um and yeah it's incredibly intimate inspiring and it's one of my favorite movies of the year i think i don't know if it sticks the landing perfectly um i wish personally it ended maybe 20 minutes before but very very good yeah, Eric hits on that pretty well. Um, I definitely agree, especially with uh, the comments about the cinematography. Uh, just wonderful. Uh, and I think, yeah, especially in the first half where the focus really is on caring for and attempting to reclaim the house, uh, this film really shines. Uh you can see Fails' passion just come through so much, and it's really a joy to watch. Uh, it also, that, that storyline also makes for some really funny moments, uh, such as when he's uh, basically cleaning the outside of the house, you know, for free. He's just trying to look after the house, and, and the family that's living there comes out and, and is completely confused as to what he's doing uh, assuming the worst and that you know scenes like that just hilarious um so the first half especially i loved i i agree also with eric that it starts to lose a little steam in the second half and and the the film's climax i it's unclear what the climax is i think that's the main yeah thing. it just whatever it is falls flat and and personally made me question what came before uh which originally i i thought was you know great stuff and and building towards 
something really special and then the climax area whatever hits and 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 the film falters uh but overall uh it was it was a very good movie uh one that that deserves a watch and also another film uh that should be in consideration for score of the year yeah i was just about to say that this is one of my favorite favorite scores of the year it's by emil oh i'm gonna butcher this last name moseri mosri um but he makes a score that uses the full capacity of woodwind instruments and especially double reeds like there's some beautiful oboe lines um it's wonderful and i think it's rare that passion like that you feel so much passion in a movie um and I think it's essentially summed up in one line. There's a scene where Jimmy Fails' character is on the bus, and this white, like, techie woman next to him is saying, like, oh, like, the city's going in the trash. And he interrupts her and says, you can't say you hate San Francisco. You can't hate San Francisco unless you've loved San Francisco. And I think that pretty much sums it up. All right. Well, now to a movie I have seen <laughs> uh, at number eight. Uh the Lighthouse. And the ratings for this are, for myself, it was my fifth highest rated movie of the year. For Eric, it was his seventh highest rated movie of the year. And for Caleb Brunnen, it is his 21st <laughs> highest rated movie of the year. Uh, happened to sneak in the top ten, though, at number eight. Crazy! <laughs> and there's a good reason why, in my opinion. And I've been very excited to talk about this film for a while. So to give a brief little kind of summary, uh, The Lighthouse is directed by Robert Eggers. Uh, doesn't really have any notable films besides The Witch, which came out in 2015, which was his first uh, major release. Um, the film really only stars two people. There's also a mermaid who is in the film for, I think, one scene. But it is a two-person film with uh, Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe, which is probably one of the best duos I've ever seen in a film. Uh, I I love this film, and I, there's, I have a list of reasons why. And it, overall, I think the one of the biggest reasons that perhaps Caleb and maybe Eric in some ways didn't like it, and I don't want to put words in their mouth, uh, they can definitely talk for themselves after, is because maybe of the lack of a plot for this movie. Um, I know that probably affects Caleb a lot more than it did Eric, um, but I'm sure there are many other reasons. Essentially, this film follows two lighthouse keepers who are kind of settled on this little island that houses a lighthouse, and eventually they kind of become stranded, and their minds, well, become kind of insane. They start to battle with uh, insanity and I, you know, that's really the only plot summary I can give without saying too much because honestly, there's not much more than that. But I think there's so much to recognize in this film. And I, and I, I wrote a little list of things that I really liked about this film and that others have noted as being uh, very uh, satisfying. Because at the end of the day, I felt like this film was like, it was just like a really good dessert. It was just delicious. Like, in the sense, that's what I saw from one review. It's just. It was so satisfying, but I cannot explain why. But I can start to explain why. Um, I think one of the reasons had to do with, and for me, this is one of the first films I've seen uh, 
in this uh, aspect ratio, it was 1.19 to 1, which made the film feel very claustrophobic. First Reformed. First Reformed's in 1.19 to 1? Yes. I didn't know that. Wow, I think I would like We're it not allowed more. to talk about First Reformed <laughs> on this podcast. Yeah, you're right. We're not allowed to. A ghost story. But, um, Casey Affleck, check it out. It made the film feel very claustrophobic from the beginning. Uh, with that, though, the lighting, the editing, I mean, everything production-wise was perfect. Uh, you got this mysterious, eerie feeling. The camera in its kind of static position. Everything. From the way this film was uh, made in terms of its aspect ratio to even the smallest little details felt perfect. I think the reason this film worked so well for me is because it was almost like a perfect short story, even though it wasn't short by any means, but it was like a perfect short story that had all of its bases covered. It didn't have a single fault in the sense that it made you feel like it was real. Like it had so much stuff working to make you feel a certain feeling that you never doubted that feeling. There were some notable maybe plot issues and maybe just issues with, I guess, maybe pacing or things like that. But I feel like overall this movie is very metaphorical, and that's what a lot of people will say. Um, while some might take it a lot more literally, I think what could drive away people from this film is it's very open-ended. And uh, there are, I think, very notable themes about possibly like trauma, uh, grief, and how, you know... You know, both characters end up having to kind of deal with their pasts in some aspect. There's a lot of uh, drug addiction, a lot of sex. Um, there's, well, not necessarily a lot of sex, but a lot of, I think, commentary on sex and just sexuality and things like that. There's just a lot packed into this film. It's it's kind of insane. I, I've never been so thrown around in the movie theater before by one film. Yeah, I would agree. I think, I honestly don't even care about plot out holes if they even exist in a film like this to me this is very simply just completely about the atmosphere and it's just without giving anything away this sort of fable about what happens when you become too obsessed and it's just so satisfying um the continually like present shots of that spiraling spiraling staircase that like ambition and like obsession to reach and get control of the top of the lighthouse is just spellbinding. Um, that also happens to come through with the score, which is pretty much ambient noise, but I think really adds to the experience. It's it's something that you just have to experience. I think it's definitely more of an experiential film than anything. And there are very few theater experiences that I've had like it. I think that's why it's in my top 10. I was a little surprised at how little it stuck with me but a lot of the imagery is still very clear in my mind the um the second or third to last shot of robert pattinson staring into the lighthouse is just it's just beautiful the cinematography in general is just is just beautiful in here i think if it had i didn't really catch many of the metaphor things and if it was really trying to say that i don't know if i think it did a good job but I in a way don't really care because of the experience I had while watching it I do think if some of those had been more clear this would be a much more even more an even more like brilliant film than it already is um but as it is it's already great and I'm excited to see what Eggers is doing next yeah I just want to say before sorry before Caleb speaks that I I I do think this movie is all about the experience um 
to me, it uh, a, a, about a month or two before I saw Lighthouse, I saw for the first time a movie called Stalker uh, with Eric, and I and I and a lot of the things that I was told going into it is it's a lot about the experience, and you know I, I learned that it's almost like the way the film makes you feel and the way like the things that it's not almost as much about the story. I'm not saying it's not about the story, but the lighthouse really left me with this impression of, I have never felt this way about a movie before. Like I've never had that overwhelming feeling. And while yes, specific plot lines haven't stuck with me. I agree with Eric that specific images have, I, I can picture the the image of kind of the 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 birds flying around the lighthouse. I can picture like specific moments and specific lines. In fact, we're always repeating a couple funny lines from the film, and I, I think that's a good sign that a film sticks with you that much, even if we take one of the lines in maybe a more hysterical way. I, I still think it stuck with me. Yeah, just quickly before we move on, uh, it wasn't the plot or lack thereof, whatever that bothered me it was more the lack of substance uh where i just feel like oh there's not really anything substantial in this movie and yes it's about the experience and i can totally respect that uh i just wasn't so moved by the experience as as zach and eric were and you know that's that's really what it boils down to there are definitely some great shots uh, great images such as uh, Robert Pattinson absolutely destroying a seagull. <laughs> oh my <laughs> God, dude, that scene is like incredible. that's that's crazy. Um, and I agree with Eric uh, that the shot of Pattinson looking into the the lighthouse was awesome. And in my opinion, the movie should have ended mm-hmm. right there. I agree with that. Um, but yeah, it, it, great performances. I just. I just couldn't find myself invested in the story essentially throughout. So, you know, it looked great. Everybody went in and did their job, but just wasn't for me, I'll say. Yeah, I think maybe what it needed was that stalker touch, like that added philosophy, that added mm. meaning. Like for Tarkovsky, like the imagery holds as much metaphorical meaning that I think is a lot more... I think, um, like, affecting than maybe something like this, but I, in a way, just didn't care in this. I, I agree, though, with you with that, but, yeah, still a very interesting film. I guess I should just end it by saying that um, regardless of, you know, how we each feel about the film, it's undeniable that uh, Pattinson and Defoe had some very uh, incredible performances in that film. Absolutely. All right, moving on to number seven. We have the film Her Smell. Uh, Eric gave this, or Eric has this film as number six on his top ten list, and I am I have it just outside my top ten at number twelve. Zach uh, did not see her smell. Her smell, uh, written and directed by Alex Ross Perry, and starring Elizabeth Moss as Becky Something, uh, a punk star who is going through some stuff in in her life um trouble with her band trouble with addiction uh trouble with her ex with whom she has a child and is not really fit to to take care of her 
it's um it's a very interesting film and in, in how it's captured uh the cinematography i found uh, was probably its best quality it really makes you feel like you're there but more than that it really gives you a sense of uh becky's emotional and mental states there's a lot of long dizzying takes uh colors are constantly swirling around the screen it really puts you inside the mind of becky which uh which which was really interesting to watch uh elizabeth moss is also uh very very good she really plays this you know punk rock star with with a level of ease that that only you know really the best actors can can pull off uh i i had some issues with the story mostly that i found some some moments repetitive uh the film is split up into five acts and i think there was a lot of overlap between them or among them i should say and especially the last act I found to be unnecessary. And I think that the film would have been even better if it had just finished after after the fourth act. There's a really, Ooh. really beautiful... Scene of the year, maybe. Potentially a really, really beautiful uh, moment in, in the fourth act that, that is probably going to stick with me for, for a long time. And I, and I wish the film had ended after that but uh overall it was it, it was a very very solid film and one where you, where you really just got to see actor shine director cinematographer shine and you know it's nice to be let into the life of uh, of a crazy rock star when you know you you don't get to see that in your own life very often yeah, I agree with a lot of what Caleb said. I do agree that I thought the last act of this probably could have been cut, especially because that I don't want to spoil anything about that last scene in the fourth act because I've been rewatching it nonstop on YouTube. It's that good. Um, but yeah, I agree. It's her. I love her smell. It's completely manic yet so human at the same time. I think. The first act really delves into the mania of everything. There is this, like, spiritual advisor that's, like, cursing people. Like, she's going around screaming about, like, the next, like, coming. Like, her, like, her her ex is there with the child, but also with his new girlfriend. His ba Her band is falling apart. Like, everything is happening, and it's absolutely wild. There's a, like, she still has to do this concert. Um, but slowly, even as everything's getting crazier and crazier, you realize there's, like, a real person behind there and I really love what happens in the second to third act after the absolute craziness of the first um the second act is essentially all in a recording studio and she's realizing that her new content she can't really do it she's too addicted to it really be productive um her band is falling apart but she's also realizing that like she's getting old there's a new band coming in with um shoot i'm really blanking on what they're called but cara delavine plays the drummer of the band and they're like the next hot thing who 
take a lot of inspiration from Becky Something and her band Something She. And slowly from that point on, as she's sort of attempting in a way to jam with them and like she's going to open a concert for them, you begin to see the layers unravel, all leading up towards what happens in the fourth act that's just just beautiful and it's it's a really strong film so i think i am once again next and this next film is um a film that's really really special to me from this year um it is lulu wong's the farewell it is number four on zach's list for the year it's number four on my list for the year and it is caleb's number 11 so High ratings all around. Um, to preface, um, The Farewell stars Aquafina as Billy, who is a young um, ABC, American-born Chinese, who is told by her parents that her paternal grandmother, her, her nai-nai, is dying, and the family is putting up this sort of sham of a wedding as a guy's to have a final last family reunion with her without having to tell her that she's dying. Um, And it follows Billy as she goes to China and deals with this restrained emotion and also the experience of going to China and experiencing the two different cultures. Um, For me personally, this is a huge film. I don't know if I've ever really seen a film that like talks about the Asian that even like star like leads and like leads with an Asian American let alone is about the Asian American experience like we had Crazy Rich Asians last year but that's still a film generally that is sort of more in the Hollywood in the Hollywood tradition with Asian characters and is more about the characters in Asia rather than Constance Wu, who plays the Asian American. Um, the Farewell is something deeply personal and deeply re- like relatable to me. Um, this concept of not telling this cultural difference of not necessarily telling people that they're about to end to keep this good, like set this, the good vibe, essentially the good vibes, but, um, is something that happens very often in China, but even more so, I think what's most affecting is the experience Billy has as she actually returns to China. This is, I think, for me and also for for her character, something that doesn't happen necessarily most often. There's not that many chances that you get to go and see your family, and when um, you do go there, it's it's like nothing else. And I think. The farewell truly captures that. Um, the like, especially seeing your grandparents. Um, the moment Billy walks in and everyone turns around, and Billy's grandma says like, "Oh, Billy Huelala," and which is essentially like, "Oh, like Billy's back." That's like an incomparable moment to me. And as they all sit around the table, everyone's like giving food to each other. Um, there's sort of like this talk about like, oh, like, what do you like better? Like China or America or all the talk. Like there's one scene where, um, like where one of, uh, Billy's uncles talks about how 
in China, your life is like part of your family. It's it's deity. It's like part of a like. There's so much of a group mentality, whereas in America, like capitalism, like your life is your own, and like there's so many good qualities to each. Um, that and this um, conflict between loving both um, is really shown well in the farewell. Um, I it, it's so close to me that I almost don't even know what to say about it. But wow, it's just really good. The restrained emotion of saying goodbye without really being able to say goodbye, like combined with this like cultural tenet of like saving face is just incredibly powerful. And that last, that last second to last scene where I think the film honestly should have ended where um, Billy is saying goodbye to her grandma right before they're about to leave for the airport is almost like, like imagery wise, pictorially and emotionally, just like something that I've been through so many times and it's so powerful. And I, I don't think I've ever seen anything that I related to as much in film like ever in my life and seeing this in the theater with like packed packed house like all these Asian Americans around me seeing an Asian American film incredibly powerful stuff not something I'm gonna forget anytime soon yeah I, I really um I really love this film I saw it uh last night actually um and uh Eric had been recommending it to me for a while, saying that I'd probably like it, and he was right. It was, it was just a very, very warm, very, very. The first word that I thought of was very simple, but I feel like that takes away from it. It's just a very gentle film, like it's. I like, think it is. It's straightforward, yet there's a lot of complex emotions within this seemingly straightforward story. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, for sure, and I think um, I've never seen any other film by Wu Luang. It's her but, um, second feature film, but this is her first big one. Okay. Well, the way she is able to handle conversations was, like, really great. Like, I've never felt like people talking to each other were was more genuine. And maybe that goes to a lot of the acting as well. But I, I just – every conversation felt very genuine. It felt very, like, maybe simple. Even a simple conversation just – it felt a lot – like, a lot more. This comes and, from the fact that – She's definitely had this con like I have heard every single conversation in that movie. I like have no doubt that almost every single line of that movie, I have heard that exact same line, exact same conversation, exact same question to me in my life. Yeah, which is which is pretty insane. So I, I'm I'm sure for you as well, it's just like a very like very personal movie. And overall it was it was just great. I I I, I, I loved it to say the least. And uh there were some very powerful scenes uh towards especially towards the end um you know like this like you said the scene of uh the grandmother waving goodbye uh i i enjoyed the also the scene of the of kind of the whole family walking kind of towards the mm -hmm. camera um it was a great movie and i thought that it 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 wasn't one of those movies that you want to like afterwards like start talking about you just kind of want to like think about it or like just be like wow that 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 was crazy like it was just that good for me yeah it really just 
evokes the and memories. the score the, yeah, score, the score of that film really is good. actually probably my favorite of the year personally um i know it's not nominated for a uh, golden globe it should be but it should be wow wow what a yeah. score wow i enjoyed it as well like i used to do tai chi with my grandma like out in front of our house go on walks with them like crazy stuff you guys really covered it don't 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 really have, have anything <laughs> anything to add there yeah all right well here we go into our top five. Uh, these films we're probably going to spend a little bit more time on, but I mean, there are a few of them we might have talked about before, but I don't want to spoil anything. Uh, but this film, uh, I just watched this movie uh, less than an hour ago. Actually, about at this point, probably more than an hour ago. But uh, this movie uh, is called The Light of My Life, uh, and it is rated number one for me. Wow. Number 14 for Eric and number four for Caleb. Uh, this movie, like I said, just watched it before I had a different movie as my number one. And this definitely um, did not expect it to be this high. But uh, before I talk about why I love this movie so much, besides the fact that I love post-apocalyptic films, I guess I will just preface that with saying that this film is, it just, it worked for me so well. Um this movie is directed by Casey Affleck, but it also stars Casey Affleck and is written by Casey Affleck. So this is really a perfect trifecta to show off his skills, and he really does show off his skills. Um, essentially, this movie is set in a post-apocalyptic world. Uh, I guess I can kind of talk about it a little bit, right? I'm not going to spoil it too much. Well, in this, where in this world, um, the entire or presumed most of the female population has died off from a plague. And the film follows mainly uh, Casey Affleck and his uh, child, uh, who is named Rag. Um, but he disguises his daughter as uh, a boy as to kind of provide her uh, more of a safety net uh, to protect her from the fact that there are not, you know, there are barely any women left in this world. Um, and so Casey Affleck's character is basically taking care of his daughter, and there are just so many amazing scenes in this movie uh, detailing that relationship between the parent and child, and uh, overall, I felt like this film was just very patient. It was just, it was so, it, it could have been so much worse. Like, I, I don't mean that in the, like, usually when you say something could have been so much worse, you're thinking, well, then it's obviously not that good. But this film could have been so much worse in the fact that it could have given the viewer almost too much. You know, I was expecting a movie that had a lot of action or uh, had a big explanation for a lot of things that had happened. But in fact, the movie leaves you wondering for a lot of the film exactly what did happen and what is the world like nowadays. And I think it adds to the film. The fact is that the focus isn't on what really happened. The focus is more on this relationship between a dad and her daughter uh, and his daughter, excuse me. And overall, uh, I think my, my favorite part of this film is the opening scene, um, which I know Caleb really loved as well, which was this opening and, and Eric, uh, this opening scene with just eight minutes um, of a just static camera looking at uh, Casey Affleck's character telling a story that he's obviously making up on the spot to his daughter. And it is, uh, it's just an incredible scene. Uh, it also has one of the funniest scenes of the year for me, which is when uh, Casey Affleck is describing to his daughter <laughs> through about four minutes of awkward conversation 
what puberty is and what sex is. And it, it is just hilarious. And it made me think, is this what I'm going to be like one day when I am a father? Awkward to tell my kid about how they were made. But uh, it's it's just great. And, you know, the film really just it, it could have been somewhat different but I love the way it turned out. It, uh, you know, one I I love post apocalyptic films. I love the way they make you hone in on how humanity is and like at a, at our core, what are our values and morals and ethics. And in fact, that that idea of morals and ethics is in this film at the beginning when Casey Affleck's character is discussing the difference with his daughter. And this this film, you know, might not appeal to some just basic. Uh, based on the fact that there's a, a lot of scenes of just conversation, but it it works so well, and maybe it's because of the connection that the two actors have. But it, uh, I I I love this film uh, overall, and also had a good score uh, for a film that I uh, saw very much put you in the atmosphere um, of this new world. And yeah, uh, I know Caleb has a few things to say about it as well. Yeah, on top of everything Zach just mentioned, uh, I found this movie to be incredibly patient and, and thoughtful and gentle, which is not, you know, those those are not adjectives you hear very often in a post-apocalyptic uh, situation. Uh, but I thought that really worked to the film's advantage here, especially as the relationship between father and daughter was built so carefully that everything was was very believable between the two. And that is, uh, of course, also a testament to the acting between Affleck and pronunciation uh, Anna Pniowski. Or Niowski, perhaps it. a silent P. It's P-N-I-O-W-S-K-Y. Probably Niowski. I don't know. Uh, but both actors are really wonderful and have great chemistry. And you you really root for them from the very beginning. Uh, like Zach mentioned, that, that great opening, you know, improvised bedtime story sets the tone for their relationship and and it really continues on a strong note throughout um the the fa- Casey Affleck's dad he he's never explicitly named in the movie uh his dad really deeply cares about about rag which which is nicely balanced out by his inability to give her everything that he wants to. So he his his limits are really pushed, and through that you you can see how hard he's trying, and that just makes you care about their relationship even more. Uh, and ultimately, despite the the dark circumstances in which the movie exists, you know this really is after most of the women in the world have died off and you know every person they meet is a potential danger the film allows for some hope which which i think is is a really touching way to to end the movie the the last line that's spoken uh, calls back a motif from earlier in the movie which is just perfect and the final shot is really searing and and it really makes you feel like, you know, relating it to our world, even if 
things don't look so optimistic at every at any given moment you know there are people there there is a person there is someone or something that can can improve the world there is still hope that exists and that's that's a comfort to have and in in such a in such a well-made film uh, it, it's it's a message that that really lands i just want to say that i honestly you know there's not much many issues i had with this film except for one thing there's one thing i hated really zach it is this god awful poster look at how terrible oh. that poster is it doesn't even look like Casey Affleck. Like it is such a bad poster. I'm sorry. It I I after seeing the gem of Uncut Gems poster, maybe I'm a little biased, but this poster was not. <laughs> it it made it look like it was gonna be like a, a bad action oh, like definitely movie. And then definitely. you are very pleasantly surprised by how incredible it turns out to be. All right. Well, Let's keep on moving up. Number four. Number four. We have Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Uh, this is Eric's number five movie of the year. And for me, it is number three. Uh, Zach has not seen it. Eric and I were lucky enough to get to see this at the Arclight Hollywood. It, at time of this recording, is has not gone wide yet. Um, but Portrait of a Lady on Fire is is a beautiful slow burn of a romance. Uh, it it follows uh, a a painter Marianne who is tasked to draw without her knowledge or paint I should say without her knowledge a a portrait of of Heloise that that's that yeah. sound right all right uh again another french pronunciation i'm i'm getting stuck with here um so it's a, her job is to paint a portrait of Heloise without uh her knowledge so that the the portrait can be sent to a potential suitor in Milan, and she and if if the suitor is uh, content with the portrait, then they are to be married. Uh, so th that's the basic plot, but really the the film is about the relationship between uh, these two women. And how over time it builds into something really special. Uh, so most admirable, in my opinion, uh, about this is how patient their their relationship is. How how slowly and carefully and meticulously it is built. Uh, a lot of times in films like these these characters will get together very quickly or there will be a very intense romantic moment very early on. And what I love about this film is that it buys its time, it builds its characters, it introduces conflict before there is this happy moment so that later on the film can really... Uh, 
so later on their their connection can be even more powerful and by the end you really feel like you know these characters and you just want them to be happy even in a situation where where that is not possible uh or in the situation where you know Marianne is is meant to to go home after she paints the portrait it, it wouldn't be possible for for a totally happy ending and you're rooting for it and really trying to find optimism that it can happen nonetheless. Um this film is very well directed. It has some great, great shots. Uh I'm thinking especially of uh when Marianne and and Heloise are uh overlook are on a cliff overlooking the water and they continue to look at each other at different time intervals, heads uh, popping in and out of frame, turning with great choreography that, you know, gets across a lot about the relationship without saying a word. There are a few shots uh, where, uh, where Heloise is wearing a white dress and then is suddenly overcome with total blackness that looks stunning there it's it really is is a beautiful film and i will also say that again i hope this pronunciation is passable uh adele hanel that's not passable my apologies <laughs> who plays heloise uh i would say that that is the performance of the year or at least i guess she would probably be nominated for supporting actress if she were to be nominated, but that that's that would definitely be my pick. She is effortless in in her performance, and it's really a marvel to watch. Yeah, Caleb hit it right on the head. She, she is really really good. Um, yeah, as he said, I'm restating here. The main thing about this film is just how patient it is. The relationship is so so real and i think that's what drives this film forwards um i think also added to that is this really poetic there's this poetry aspect to it and that comes in with something caleb mentioned with the the white dress and this blackness um it adds this depth of temptation restraint impossibility but also like that this impossibility is something that you want the like the the satisfaction of finality um that i think just makes this film all the more complex and all the more beautiful um the cinematography is just absolutely gorgeous um and it is definitely definitely deserving of its top 4 spot and it is actually a travesty that it's not being nominated for best foreign film so on to our is num- it really not? Yeah, France nominated uh, the um, shoot. I haven't seen it, but it's I think it's Lodge Lee's Les Mis Les Miserables. Oh, it's the police. It's like a police. They can only crime nominate film, one. I think. Yeah, they can, each country can only nominate one. That's ridiculous. That that portrait is not up there. That's yeah, because it's insane. one of the most critically acclaimed movies of the year. Yeah, and it's why it's getting a wide release in February. Wow, that's pretty. That's pretty crazy. Yeah, but now top three. Let's yeah. see. Okay, top three. Um, I think it would be pretty foolish 
to go this entire this entire podcast and not mention Bong Joon Ho's Parasite. Um, Parasite has just been making waves ever since it won the Palm d'Or at Cannes this year. It has been getting rave reviews. It is right now the highest rated movie of all time on Letterboxd. It is. It, it's number one still. Yeah, it's number one. You know what? I mean, it deserves to be pretty yeah. high. I won't debate whether or not it deserves to be one, but damn, this movie's good. Yeah, it is the highest ever grossing film in Korea domestically. And here in the U.S., it is, I think, also the highest ever grossing foreign film. So it has been making some waves. Um, the film stars the Kim family and um it begins with their son I think his name is Kiwoo and he um their family is not doing so great economically they're definitely lower class they're like getting wi-fi off of other people's like other restaurants <laughs> that they live next amazing to amazing scene they of like them. yeah of, like them like <laughs> holding their phones into the sky <laughs> like trying to get signal um they like they live like in like a dirty dirty basement and they're like trying to like fold pizza boxes for a living um and what happens is kiwu gets recommended by one of his richer friends who's studying in the u.s to take over as an english tutor for this rich family and slowly but surely their entire family gets employed by this other <laughs> upper class family and that's where things start to devolve. Um, it's another one of uh, Bong Joon-ho's just amazing, amazing genre plays as it switches from, I think, what's decidedly a comedy to something much, much more twisted to almost even just outright horror. It's an incredibly stylish yet complex um, commentary on capitalism and like the dog eat dog world that happens within that it's not just about like class it's not just about difference in lower class and upper class but it's also about what happens when the lower class when like when underprivileged people have to compete against each other to be able to move up um the set design is beautiful the house is just ridiculous it's full of all these layers. I don't want to spoil too much, but all these different layers, different nooks and crannies. Um, and Probably one of the best houses of, yeah, in a film. Yeah, it's like, very insane. imposing. It looks very modern, and it's just this representation of the system that these people live in. Um, yeah, I I think the ratings, the numbers speak for themselves this is definitely one of the best films of the year yeah i i guess i'll say that you know this movie was so much fun but so much darker too uh i think also it had some really amazing parts of it that were lighthearted. some of the funniest scenes of the year but also some of the just like those sickening scenes of the year it, it really was such a whole movie in the way it made you feel. There were so many very memorable parts to it, and I, it, it I mean, I, it, this movie easily could have been our number one. Like easily, I, I can easily imagine imagine the situation where it was. It was. Uh, did you already say what it was for each of us? 
Yeah, for oh, us shoot. it was uh, a number six for myself, which honestly it was much higher, but it just got pushed down a little bit. A number three for Eric, and a number two for Caleb. So uh, overall, you know, the first film on here that all of us have seen that all of us agree is uh, in a, in the single digits. So it is, yeah, a great film. Uh, you know, I can't say much more than I mean, I mean we could spend hours talking about this. We were very much. Uh, debating whether or not we should have made an episode specifically about Parasite, and in hindsight, we probably should have. Um, Decidedly a better stair scene than Joker. Stair scene. Oh, yeah, definitely That is a striking stair scene. scene. Yeah, that is an insane (laughs) stair scene. You know, there's just so many parts um, (laughs) of this film that stick in your mind. Uh, You know, compared to some of these, you know, even like Lighthouse, as much as I love the film, and it is rated higher, Parasite, I can remember so much of that film because it's stuck. It sticks with you so much. Um, the even the even the ending, um, which might leave you, you know, in some ways, it le- I think it leaves you kind of hopeful, but maybe. Falsely. Oh, I, I think it's decidedly not I hopeful. Disagree. I, you know, it's see, decidedly I disagree. So not hopeful, Zach. You don't think in some aspect it is? No, because it's supposed to be this. Like, I think it's supposed to be this. I don't want to say anything. It's supposed to be this sick fantasy. Yeah. There's like you know like it's built up this entire movie to let you know that this ending is just not what you think it is. Yeah, there was a lot of wow moments and you know, I don't know about that. I it might be. I I I still think that especially it, with the Riley like s- cynical tone and like especially the like ambivalence that Bong Joon-ho has towards like Hollywood tradition and values and stuff like that like I definitely yeah, think this ending fair. is not trying to be the most optimistic. It's almost like a like a final screw you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's just I, this movie has so many incredible scenes that I can point out too. Uh, one of the funniest probably of the year is oh, the yeah. scene with them under the, uh, you know I don't want to spoil too much, but with them under the table. Um, oh, the peeing! Hilarious scene. The peeing. <laughs> the peeing. Scene. Um, the uh, the scene even the just peaches. Uh, the peaches, oh my god. Essentially the entire like first hour of this movie is just hilarious. What's insane is how how easily it switches gears, but it doesn't throw you off course. Like at first you're like, this film's almost like a comedy. Like and then it slowly becomes something more cynical for sure. Um, when when he's like, um first coming to this house and the the mom of the family is showing him the the the, the dude the paintings. And she goes like, like, look at this. What do you think it is? And he goes, oh, like a chimpanzee. Like, and the mother goes, it's a self portrait. And they're both just straight face. It's I, hilarious. I loved. I forgot the girl's name, but the 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 daughter who becomes mm. the tutor for his art, the little kid's art tutor. But that, the way she talks about his pictures and the therapy aspect of it is so devious but funny. It's just a best rhyme of this, the year. <laughs> this, this best jingle. The only way I can describe this film is it's just genius. Like it's just so clever and just genius. Like it I don't think I've ever seen a film so well thought out. Um yeah. Pretty pretty well done. <laughs> That's the yeah. Uh you have anything to add, Caleb? Oh uh, yeah, I mean you guys really touched on most of it. Just briefly I'll say what I was most uh impressed by and that was or Impressed because I, I was surprised, not expecting how suspenseful this was and how how good uh, Bong Joon Ho is here at 
at really squeezing the the suspense out of out of every moment where where that's his intention. Um, like you guys mentioned, you know, under the table is is the biggest example. <laughs> yeah. That suspense that was probably one of the most suspenseful of the year for yeah, sure. Yeah, which, which is just it was just marvelous. The film is absolutely riveting throughout. It is solid all the way through. Really, really just an exciting time at, at the movie theater that also leaves you thinking and, you know, hard to ask for, for much more than that. I think the best part of it is that this suspense that's built isn't just fun. It also adds to the themes and motifs of the movie in even more complex ways. Also, we say this for almost every movie, but this movie also has a really nice score. And I just found out today, if you want to like find out about how annoying the Oscars are, this movie is nominated for Best Original Song, but not Best Original Score. That's insane. Which That's so I cannot tell you what song is in this movie think- unless it's the Jessica jingle. <laughs> but um, <laughs> Oh, my God. Like, but... Um, in addition, like I really need to thank this movie for the best Oscars roast I've heard in my life. Um, this is definitely going to be nominated for Best Foreign Film and probably Best Picture. I think at this point it's, it's probably set. Probably won't win um, uh, Best Picture. Um, but <laughs> when Bong Joon-ho was asked why this was the first ever South Korean film, this is going to be the first ever South Korean film ever to be nominated in the Academy Awards, he gave the roast saying, oh yeah, no one really cares about the Oscars. It's really just a local event. Like so, thank you for that. That's pretty. That's pretty great. That's pretty great. I I think we need to spend a whole episode bashing on these uh, the nominations for best score because they're honestly not great. <laughs> like even one that we agree has a good score, Marriage Story. That is like not even eh. memorable. I don't even remember. I can't. Eh. I can't tell you anything from that score other than one thing. Oboes. <laughs> <laughs> Boom. All right, well, with that, we move to our number two. And this film, I won't say what it is, but it was rated by me at number three. Eric at number two, and Caleb at number five. So this is our first film that is unanimously in the top five. And that is The Softy Brothers Uncut Gems. Boom, that's it, bye. No, this film, we, we, at this point, the episode is already released. Um, we spent over an hour talking about Uncut Gems, which we found, it, we found it hard to do, not because it was a bad film, but because there's just, like, one of those films, I'm like, you gotta just see it yourself. Like, y- you need to watch it. No, like, seriously, right? It's one of those films. That's what we're here for, guys. <laughs> no, you got oh, you, want, you wanted to hear some insight. How about you go see the movie, all right? I mean, at this point, you've almost listened to us as long as maybe the movie would have been. So, like, I mean, what, we got an hour and a half at this point. You know, if we keep going, it could almost reach Uncut Gems level. No, not really. Uncut Gems is two, two hours, 15, right? Roughly. Yeah, it is. Either way, you got to go see this movie. Um, if you haven't, and Uncut Gems was incredible. We talked about the suspense that Parasite made you made us feel at moments. Uncut Gems makes you feel that suspense the whole movie, and it's almost like a feeling of uneasiness, this feeling of, wow, things are messed up, and we don't know what's going to happen. Um, you know, we, we, we've, we spent a lot of time talking about this in the episode about you know, things that this film does amazingly, things that we wish were a little bit different. 
but they are some of the best scenes of the year and some of the best quotes of the year. Um, and when I was making the episode, uh, cut or cutting the uh, yes. the audio for today's episode, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> cutting the audio for the episode, um, it was funny listening to the trailer and hearing those one liners that come out, and I'm like, wow, this movie is is just great. Another movie that honestly has, I wouldn't put it in my top five scores, but again, has a solid score. I, keep, I know we keep saying that, but it's honestly a a, a travesty that, a travesty? Is that, is yeah, that a it's word? travesty. <laughs> <laughs> I always said tragedy. A travesty that a lot of the films that we believe have great scores aren't even nominated. So I guess screw you uh, award season with that. But Uncut Gems is truly a gem. Um, and Nice. <laughs> Thank you for that. Um, Adam Sandler plays, in my opinion, his best role of all time. Uh, the Softy Brothers haven't seen. I haven't seen Good Time, but this um, I'm sure is the uh, you know the the latest of their probably and their best release. Uh, this is their second major release, and I'm sure there'll be much more coming from them. Uh, we had the amazing opportunity of seeing this with a Q and A session after with the Softy Brothers and Adam Sandler. Uh, it's definitely very fun to see it. Um, and yeah, I don't know what to say about this film other than it really sits in your stomach after a while. And, uh, yeah. What do you, what do you guys have to say? Best moving going experience of the year. It's just nonstop. And I like, cannot wait to rewatch this. I'm already making plans to go see it again and again. Like I probably have like two plans over winter break to go see this like two or three times again. Yeah. Um, also it's just iconic you know i was watching i lost my body today and there's a scene in i lost my body where the kid can't open the door and it's like a five minute scene and all i could think of was like wow they're already recreating it it's that iconic it's so good so good yeah obviously we we discussed this at length uh on a previous episode but um as zach and eric are saying it's it's just really gripping all the way through and, uh, yeah, definitely a great experience at the movie theater. Wish it had stuck the landing a little better. Uh, yeah. But overall... Uh, overall <laughs> I disagree! Very, I disagree! Very solid film, and it's clear that Josh and Benny... Caleb. Josh and Benny have real com- complete control over their craft, and that's uh, always great to watch. All right. The leads didn't stick the landing. Josh and Benny have complete skill over their craft. They, they, they have control over the craft. I they they definitely controlled their their ending. I just I disagree with with their choice. But yeah, it wasn't it wasn't for lack of control that that I thought the ending could have been better. It was I think they I think it was a miscalculation in my opinion, um, which we discussed in further detail on the previous podcast now number one hustler no. okay don't don't do don't do hustlers <laughs> like that great film so oh, that is in your top 10 <laughs> avengers endgame best film of number one remember when we said that book smart wasn't in the top 10 well it, it's it's still not in the top Cat. 10 because of eric um all right so our number one which was a unanimous number one until earlier tonight. <laughs> I'm sorry, y'all. So now we're sitting at Zach has us at number two, and Eric and I have it at number one, is Marriage Story. 
this is another one where we have a full-length episode about, uh, in my opinion, that is probably our best episode. Oh, yeah, for sure. So I would uh, humbly recommend you check that out if you have not already. Um, but Adam Driver, written and directed by Noah Baumbach, follows Charlie, played by Adam Driver, and Nicole, played by Scarlett Johansson, as they uh, undergo a divorce, and it just follows how their lives and the lives of their child, uh, Henry, are affected by this development. And uh, obviously we, we talked about this in detail, but what I loved most is is how well-written it is. Uh, Bombeck's finest writing, in my opinion, that captures reality while being entertaining all the way through, but never too much of anything, too, never too over the top, never too quirky, never too to you know abrasively cinematic minus one scene uh which again we talked about a lot the, the the big argument scene but outside of that i thought the writing was just exquisite and you know you really found yourselves deeply deeply invested in these characters lives uh switching allegiances from moment to moment but ultimately wishing that these two could just find a way to, to work things out. Uh, additionally, I'd say Adam Driver gives the male performance of the year. Uh, Sandler was great in Uncut Gems, certainly, but I don't think anybody's going to top Driver at the Academy Awards, or, or shouldn't, at least. And definitely the most moving film of the year for me, and one I'll be thinking about. And perhaps you know even use as inspiration for my own writing which you know for me there's there's not really much more of a of a recommendation i can give than than if you know than if something can can affect me and try and work its way in into my own work so marriage story film of the year for me and well go see it yeah i would say this I mean, you know, there's definitely a recency bias and a preference bias just with Light of My Life, but Marriage Story is was my film of the year for a while and probably still is very close up there. It's the the film is amazing and you know, I I've seen a lot and I have to rant a little bit because I've seen a lot of people bashing this movie recently. Um even though it's received quite a number of praises online. I mean, it's nominated for the most Golden Globes, but I think this movie receives a little bit too much backlash, specifically for that scene, uh, the fighting scene. No one, no, okay, no one who's complaining about that scene has actually seen the movie. No, so I, I, exactly, that. but it's all <laughs> over Twitter right now, and I think I do agree. Like we, we've just, I, I think the scene is better than obviously, you know, Caleb and Eric do. You know, we've had that discussion. I do. I think it's the best scene in the movie. Oh, nowhere near the best scene. Um, but I do think there are people going way too far and saying that this mo- that that scene in particular is like any two people could do that and it is like it was as dull as a I saw people saying like oh any two people do it every time in a theater uh, acting class and I'm like that's not true <laughs> like it this while the scene wasn't maybe what it could have been and we've talked about that I still especially I do hold in regard that what Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson do with their characters even in that maybe poorly written moment is still I think 
uh, amazing and something that we haven't seen in quite some time uh and probably the best duo interaction this year and yeah like you said best uh best male performance for sure in my opinion as well uh do i think he'll win the oscar no do i think he yes, should yes i think he will i don't think he will but yes. we, that'll be for later uh i do think he deserves it and uh damn what a career he uh has uh coming for him yeah, so this is easily for me. I think everyone else has said enough. And if you want to find out more, definitely go listen to our previous episode. Easily the most emotionally affecting film of the year and also very nuanced. So that is why it is in my number one slot. I do think, I do, I do. I really think Adam Driver is going to win the Oscar with this one. I, I think it's just got to happen. He's got a gut feeling. Yeah, and I, I, I think I'm I'm pretty good at Oscar predictions. I think I am. Um, especially if he wins the Golden Globe, I think then it's almost a lock after seeing what everyone else... Um, and it's the type of movie that I think really appeals to the Academy. Yeah, I, um, I can see that for sure. So, yeah. I'm um, just not convinced. And we're going to talk this later. I'm just not convinced it can be. Like, while I agree Adam Driver's performance is the best... I don't know if it can beat the buzz that exists around Joaquin Phoenix's performance. There's the buzz around Joaquin Phoenix, but there's also the really, really controversial buzz around Joker. I agree. That I that think well. is also going to turn away a lot of Academy voters, especially. Yeah. I uh, know. I I, 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 I do think, agree. I think it. I think it'll happen for Joaquin, but maybe not. I I really think Adam Driver is going to do it. This could age very badly in a couple months, but I'm yeah, gonna I'm gonna I'm go gonna, out and say I'm it. Sure. Um. But- well, we're definitely going to do some discussion about the Oscars for sure in the future. Yeah. So stay tuned. Yeah. Any last thoughts about Marriage Story or just the list as a whole? I think um, just to go through it one more time. Uh, so we had our honorable mentions, but clocking in at number 10, we have The Irishman. At number nine, Last Black Man in San Francisco. Number eight, The Lighthouse. Number seven, Her Smell. Number six, The Farewell. Number five, The Light of My Life. Number four, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, number three, Parasite, number two, Uncut Gems, and number one, Marriage Story. Moral of the story is if your film has uh, less than two words or less in your title, it's probably going to make our list. <laughs> it probably will. <laughs> That's why we love The Last Black Man in San Francisco. <laughs> it's the exception to the rule. Um, same with Light of My Life, I guess. But uh, I think this is a great crafted top 10 list um definitely you know there's definitely some movies that we would probably argue i agree (laughs) (laughs) caleb's another i disagree (laughs) but uh i think it's a good list i i think i think we got together and uh there's some there's some solid films up there that i think are going to stick around uh in the old memory banks for a while but uh i guess we'll see what 2020 holds for us and if it will be better than 2019 Any predictions right now, 2020, better year, worst year, about the same for than 19? I sure hope it's better. By golly. <laughs> well, if Charlie Kaufman's coming out with something, you'd, you'd better be it ready. Better that is be true. Ready. Yeah, I guess so. Well, I guess looking to the future, we're going to have we're, – we're, we're talking about what we want to do in terms of the Oscars. I think it would be fun on one hand to do a Oscar kind of game episode where we kind of put – you know, play a little – guess guessing game and write down our predictions and then think of some creative punishment for whoever has the least amount correct i think that'd be a fun way to do it or we might kind of uh 
space them out between other episodes and reviews. It, it kind of depends what we're feeling. You know, this uh, we've kind of ended the year and uh, we're going to be coming back from our uh, winter break with some fresh ideas and uh, kind of going steadfast with this podcast. Uh, we're very excited. At, at this point, you know, by the end of the year, we'll have what? I mean, this is episode six. Six. Uh, I don't really know. Let's go with this five. Is, this is going to be episode five. And then we have episode six, which is the 2010s appreciation. So at this point, if you count episode zero as an episode, <laughs> which is really weird, even though it was released also cut into two episodes, <laughs> we're going to say- Do not cut those gems. <laughs> we're we're going to say we're at ep- seven episodes for the year. And next year, we're going to easily beat that record. Uh, any, I, would, uh, I would hope so. Any any light Christmas wishes for uh, for the podcast or for the for movies next year? Anything that you're uh, you're uh, you're it's on your wish list for uh, yield uh, clause? The Irishman outside the top ten. <laughs> Hopefully, something you know, maybe maybe Little Women, maybe uh, a hidden life will will come through and and salvage. Yeah, we well we probably will. Give a little quick update at some point, saying, "Hey, our top ten changed maybe a tad." You know what I would, what um, I would love. Whole new. What's episode? on my Christmas list? My my list for this uh, podcast: a website. A website. Actually, guess what? Santa Claus is coming this year. Santa Claus and is he's coming to a website. He's coming to the internet. He's coming to the internet. By golly, and he's bringing you. He's bringing us. A website that will wow. be up sometime in the next Thank you, month Santa. or so. Thank you, non-denominational gift giver. <laughs> gift giver. Uh, snowman, whatever. Snow snow person, all of them. Hey, not uh, ever get snow. Person. Gift giver. I like that one. Gift giver. Thank you. It's safe. Yes, we will have a website coming soon. And uh, with that, we'll have some, uh, obviously, the podcast episodes will be on there. Uh, I'm, I'm getting, you know, we've been getting a little other ideas. I've been thinking of some other ideas about having the three of us upload our, um, own reviews as well online. I know Eric has his own, Eric and Caleb have their own websites. Um, or Eric does at least in the making. I, um, I don't do that. I, most of my stuff is on letterboxd. Um, or, but if you go to Eric, shoot, I hope I get this, this link, but <laughs> I think it's ericzoofilm.wordpress.com. I do a weekly like review of like one movie and then go over some little blurbs of what I watched over the week. But if you want to really stay up to date, that would be letterboxed. Yeah. But his website is really good and you should really check it out. I agree. Um, But yeah, my little wish, my little Christmas list or wish list for the new year would be just getting that website up for this podcast and keep seeing where it goes. Maybe getting us to do uh, some uh, more, Maybe some writings to put on there. Get a whole get a whole thing. Sell some merchandise. Make some sweaters, <laughs> things like that. I think we need to get more of a. Base if you're interested us. in some sweaters, <laughs> do let us know. All uh, those... after the website is up, so we can actually get those comments about wanting sweaters. <laughs> it's gonna be our parents texting us. Are you guys making sweaters? And then our parents will just wear them to work every day to support us because, well, maybe not. You hear that, mom? You're wearing you're wearing my sweater. You're wearing our sweaters. All right. Well, on that note, we wish you a very very great end to your 2019. And with that, we bid you adieu. Have a blessed eve. You love to see it. Adios.